the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and uh, we've got a lot to cover. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, by the way, ProAmericaReport.com, and you will see my um, longer-form writings there, ability to sign up there, uh, and uh, a lot more, ProAmericaReport.com. Now, what you need to know today, today's wink, it is time to uh, identify, if not celebrate, the reality of one of the largest of the narrative machine's big media partners so remember the narrative machine which is big government working with big media and big tech puts out a narrative and not only uh, forces it on the american people and swamps out other narratives and other truths but also uh, does it in such a way that it's a kind of brainwashing and at this point it's propaganda at its worst in my opinion um, now don't be fooled that the main uh, stream media big media big tech they will cover certain things uh, that are inescapable you know the scores from the uh, baseball playoffs the the uh you know um size of the crowd at a concert you know uh, taylor swift right now is uh, is all the rage and all that kind of stuff they'll cover a lot of stuff and it'll be factually correct but the fake news of the narrative machine is significant and you all see it now and it's getting worse in fact, it's it's a lot worse. It's it's worse every day. And it's worse because of the fake news industry, which is what the narrative machine is. The narrative machine is the fake news industry. And it's it is not fair to blame it only on, say, cable news or only on The Washington Post. It's the narrative machine, big government and big media and big tech working together, each in large part, different parts and different pieces, but working together. So now comes the news that the Washington Post is losing money, a lot of money, and it's basically failing and flailing. Now, two observations. One, the Washington Post has been useless on the main stories, on the serious stories of the moment. They they lied about Russia. Well, let me say it better. They either got Russia so wrong, the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. They got it so wrong and never apologized. They did take down some stories, but they never apologized. Or they were lying because they were desperate, because they wanted to tie up Trump. And my own opinion is they were working with big government and big media to tie up Trump. Russia, Russia, Russia hoax was one piece of it. The Mueller investigation in general was the largest thing. But then you go pick another one, Ukraine phone call that Trump got impeached over. One thing after another, January 6th is the one I'm closest to because I've been working as a citizen journalist on that. And you're seeing that story breaking right now. I have I'm not a professional journalist. I'm not trained formally as a journalist. I'm an attorney, a lawyer who's trained to understand the law and to understand the facts and the system around the law. I've done a lot of other, a lot of other stuff, including media, 
as a contributor, as an opinion guy, whatever. I'm not naturally, I'm not, I'm, I'm neither professionally trained or maybe formally trained as a journalist. I nor naturally a, a journalist. I like my opinions, but I've had to become a citizen journalist because they, they won't do their job. On January 6th, there's a million stories that go against the narrative machines truths and they won't cover it and what you need to know is the washington post the new york times uh all the cable news networks i would call them that that's the big media right the big media they all are in the tank for the narrative machine and the great thing is the washington post has been so spending so much money huge numbers of staff and all this kind of stuff is it's not a business model that works people won't pay for that stuff they may be uh, brainwashed by it. They may be persuaded by it. They may be lied to and not realize the truth because of it, but they're not paying for it. Nobody wants to pay for it. It's almost, it's It's one of the great things about it. It's sort of natural in your heart. You don't want to pay for lies. Even if somebody's telling you it's the truth in your heart, you don't want to pay for negativity. That Washington post is impossible to read. If you're someone who loves America or loves the Lord or frankly loves themselves. And so what you need to know is the Washington Post failing. Uh, first of all, it is the beginning of, uh, I would say, the final act of newspapers. Donald Trump resurrected the New York Times because they did digital subscriptions and they're becoming basically a web presence. CNN and long ago is a, is a web presence as big almost as the TV. You know, they get terrible ratings, but they still are the number one, two, three, five, top 10 for sure websites for news. But the Washington Post whose business model was supposed to be send the paper out, bring the paper, and to the influencers in the nation's capital, they're dying. That business model is dying. And they have way too many staff, and they have way too much spending, and they have way too many things. And Bezos hasn't cared because uh, the owner is Jeff Bezos. He sort of sees it as a vanity project. But even a vanity project, when it doesn't make money long enough, it, it, one of the, again, great things about this, it self-fulfills. What you don't want to pay for liars, you don't want to pay for negativity, and then you hear that they're losing money, and you say, oh, it's not even a good business. And people don't want to be associated with losers. That's how people are. They don't want to be associated. They don't want to stand next to losers. They don't want to subscribe to the losers. They just don't want to do it. And so Washington Post will probably transition into a, an online uh, presence, and they'll try to make their way there. But they haven't been ex- that successful at that so far. But the problem is we're watching right now the voices on the center right being silenced over and over again. Someone told me George Will wrote a column uh, in the last day or so that asked Tim Scott to step down, Senator Tim, Tim Scott to step down from his presidential race and endorse Nikki Haley. And I thought to myself, where did where did George Will write it? I actually thought George Will is still writing and it's in the Washington Post. And I didn't even know that because they don't even make news. So they're not even they're not they're not influencing much of anything. But more importantly, the only voices allowed on the Washington Post paper or website are never Trumpers, anti-Trumpers. There's no real conservatives in America first conservatives or anything else. And if they let you be on there as a real conservative, they try to make you into a cartoon character. So you look out of place out of uh, the mainstream. Again, that's the old uh, uh, Joe Biden trick to say you're extremist. You're an extremist. But so Tucker's gone, you know, off of uh, uh, cable uh, Fox News. You know, there's nobody on CNN. There's nobody on MSNBC. There's no they said they were going to balance CNN. You know, they were going to put in a new guy and he was going to try to balance it. That didn't happen. They got rid of some of the dead weight. That guy that was in there for about a year or less than a year, he he basically was a, a guy that had to uh, sweep clean. The new broom sweeps clean, and then he got fired himself. But there's no place where you can get a serious, big voice, conservative voice out there. Rush Limbaugh, 
obviously passed away. His his uh, show fragmented. There's no there's no real voice. And my point is, that's not unintentional. The 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 narrative machine does not want big, strong voices that hold things together. It's one of the reasons they hate Trump, because he's a big, strong voice. He is the biggest voice on the center right. He's the dominant voice. And as long as Trump is around, he's got the ability to have a huge crowd. And to the, to the detriment of, of the sort of larger uh, pro-America movement, there's nobody else. Mark Levin b- barely registers. Sean Hannity barely registers. I mean, he does a radio show. He does a TV show, Laura Ingram. But they're not they're not getting the following. They don't have the oomph. They don't draw the numbers. They And here's a telltale sign. I talked to a friend of mine, a publisher. He told me that... Um, Tucker was the one that used to move books. If you had a, if you were a guest on Tucker's show and you had a book, you sold books. And he said, no one else does it. Not Ingram, not Mark Levin. I'm talking conservative books, but nowhere. And back to my point here, but what, what you need to know is we're watching the flailing and failing of the Washington Post and thinking, oh, great. There's voices. There's a place for more voices. The problem is the dominant voices are still left of center. And if you're right of center, you're not getting your voice heard. It's one of the reasons why Tucker, excuse me, by Elon Musk is such a problem for all the powers that be because they can't control him. And he's willing to let center right voices be ascendant, be big, be loud, be successful, you know, be have a lot, a lot of followers. And so you got a guy, you got a guy like Tucker can go over there and succeed. You know, he's getting lots of, but he's not making money. Tucker can't make money because he's still under contract to Fox. So we don't even know if his model is making money. But we know that his voice is out there at least. And so my warning is my it, don't celebrate the end of the Washington Post because you say, oh, look, those guys are fake newsers and they're go, they're fading fast. They're not going anywhere. Bezos has got the money. And two, the system is still rotten. The system is still broken. The system is still a, a, a narrative machine. And if the Washington Post is less influential, doesn't have as big a subscription, it doesn't. There's other ways to make it up. There's other aspects of the uh the narrative machine that can strengthen it. And here's a wild card. We may be getting to the point where the big media needs Trump to win because when big, when, when Trump won and was president, big media got a boost. New York times discovered they could get hundreds of thousands of digital subscribers just in their opposition to Trump. And CNN had a, had a heyday because opposition to Trump, they may need a Trump presidency to survive. And what is needed, however, is counterweights that are voices on the other side. 115 years ago, I looked it up not long ago, in the early 1900s, there in St. Louis, where I'm from, there were like 25 newspapers. There was one conservative German daily. There was one liberal German daily. There was one conservative Protestant uh, weekly. There was one conservative Catholic weekly. There was all sorts of voices. Each one had their voice, and it included the whole thing. They, they didn't pretend that they weren't biased. We may be headed that way, except right now, the narrative machine doesn't allow any of the conservative voices to surge to be a counterweight to the to the uh, broader liberal culture. All right, we got to take a break. That's what you need to know. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro Market Report. I have been uh, had it on my list here for a couple of uh, days since I think last week. What's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities? Uh, Jason Rance, who is a, uh, a long you've seen him on Fox News. He's on Fox News fairly regularly as a as a commentator. Uh, he also hosts a radio show himself up in Seattle, uh, Tacoma area. And uh, this uh, book is out. So congratulations first on the book um, and perfect timing, I think, because we're seeing uh, some really terrible stuff in our cities and so uh, welcome jason how are you i'm doing well i appreciate it so um you you're in seattle in our head i'm i'm uh, from the heart of america in the middle of uh, the country portland is the mess up in the pacific northwest but seattle's got its own problems right is that is that what got you sort of focused on this is you being in your hometown or where you're living and breathing to see this i don't know if, if that's necessarily the case in in that uh, obviously, I've been covering what's been going on in Seattle and the Pacific Northwest for a while. And because I live here, I'm seeing it every single day. Was The reason I wrote What's Killing America is that as I was doing coverage for my radio show, but also for Fox News, I was noticing the trend in other cities. And they were going and following pretty much the same script as has been the case in Seattle. And really, I can make the argument that Seattle has been following the same script of a San Francisco or New York, St. Louis and other places. Right. And once you start picking up on the trends, it, it becomes curious. Like, why is it happening? Why is it pretty much happening the same way that we have a rise in crime, a rise in homelessness, drug addiction, while at the exact same time, the cost of living is going through the roof somehow? And that brought me to the research and finding that this is a radical left wing ideology that's behind it. There are very specific and very similar, if not exactly the same policies that are being implemented across the country in these Democrat-run cities. The results have been the same, and people seem to think that it's not going to happen to them, that if they move to San Diego, they won't get hit with what's going on in Los Angeles or San Francisco, that people who leave sort of, sort of these big Democrat cities that, oh, well, I'll, I'll be safe from it. But that's not the case because this is not Las Vegas. These policies have a tendency to spread. And unless we figure out the way to understand what it is they're doing, why they're doing it, and the language that they use to convince people that their positions are the right ones, we're never going to win these political battles. And that's why I decided to write What's Killing America. So uh, before we get to the book a little bit more, I, I noticed in a different interview, I think I have it in my notes. I don't know where I saw, but it is attributed to you. So if it's not, just uh, roll with it and, and <laughs> fake it. But um, a quote about how one of the reasons that you wrote the book was that people um, you were surprised that there are not you surprised that there are there, here it is. There are millions of Americans who have no idea how bad our largest Democrat run cities have deteriorated. And so let's uh, let me ask you about that, because you're in media. Um, I marvel at the fact that until just a few weeks ago, there was not real coverage of the border. There still isn't now because now it's uh, Israel all the time um, and, and Gaza and all. But this one about the cities, I mean, it's getting a little more attention. But, you know, I, I have kids and I mean, I, I you know, I, I, I'm very, very where I grew up in cities. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. I lived my life, most of my adult life in St. Louis. Uh, I worked in Washington, downtown D.C., but I, I don't walk around these cities anymore. And do you really do Americans really not see it? And why aren't they seeing it? Or, and are they now, do you think? Is it growing? So I, I think obviously more and more people are starting to catch up with what's been going on. But the unfortunate reality is it's because they're now being personally impacted by one of the consequences of these policies. So when you, you live particularly in blue cities or counties or states, it's really easy to get into your little bubble and only hear from left-wing outlets, only hear from left-wing people who 
I think in large part are blinded by their own ideology where they refuse to acknowledge what's truly going on. Some people, I think, on the far left, particularly the ones who are responsible for all of this, they see what's going on, but they just don't talk about it because they think they believe that their short term pain in order to get to some long term gain. Mm -hmm. But a perfect example of this was when I was doing Tucker Carlson from the autonomous zone in Seattle. I'm there and I'm reporting. I'm telling you what's going on. I'm showing you videos of precisely what I'm saying. And I still got a whole bunch of messages on Twitter or email from people in Seattle telling me that I'm making it all up. I'm right. like, dude, I've got video. I don't know <laughs> what else you want me to do here. Right, right. I, I assure you I'm not making it up. But there's still people who just refuse to acknowledge because they don't want to admit that their policies are to blame. They don't want to give credit to any conservative who's calling it out. It's deeply selfish. And the reason why most people aren't really picking up on the truth here is, and with all due respect to local media outlets, I think there's some really good reporters out there. They do a horrible job of telling you the why. They maybe will give you the transactional stories of what's going on, but they don't connect the dots. They don't do anything that's really thematic. Maybe they'll do it around one issue, but then that means they're completely ignoring a whole bunch of other issues. And then ultimately, people are not that attuned to the news, including people who listen to talk radio and podcasts right. all day. There's only so much that you're able to absorb. You have your own life, you have jobs, you have a family. It's just really, really tough for me and you and others who work in the industry. It's a lot easier because this is what we get paid to do. This is what we study all day, every day. But most people aren't doing that. And then all of a sudden they wake up and they realize, oh, things have gotten really bad. And I don't want them to wake up one day and realize that it's too late. Uh, we're talking with Jason Rance, and I, I should have hit uh, his his program is the Jason Rance Show, which is over in uh, Western Washington, uh, one of the top rated shows, uh, KTTH uh, uh, in Seattle. And his book is from Center Street, one of the great publishers, just a few weeks ago. Uh, What's killing America inside the radical left's tragic destruction of our cities? Uh, you know, I had on recently. Um, you probably crossed paths in the green room at uh, at Fox. Uh, Vince Everett Ellison, who um, on, was on the program, and he basically said. There's nothing you can do. The Democrats destroy the cities, run like hell. I mean, he didn't say that. That's me saying it. But he said, what, you know, when I read the book and I, and I didn't finish it, I, I tell my readers all the time, I read first and last chapter and I bounce around in between. But when I, Jason, when I, when I finish, I, I don't know because, you know, part of it is that you can't imagine. I'm from St. Louis. You couldn't imagine a Republican winning for mayor or, or having a Republican majority of the uh, Alberta of Aldermen. So the crazies get crazier, but they keep winning. And so it's almost like, is, are we, are we beyond? I know you said wake up and, and decide that you can't do anything about it. Can you really do anything about it at this point? You can do something about it. Now, I give the caveat of I think San Francisco is too far gone. I think San Francisco is not going to recover, not anytime soon. It's going to take decade, a decade, if not decades, for it to come back. But I hope that all of us will prevent that from happening from our own communities. And the fact of the matter is, with respect, I think you're thinking about it a little bit uh, incorrectly. You don't have to think about it as far as getting Republicans into office in St. Louis. That's not what the issue is. Right. You have to deal with the city that you're in. And so the question <laughs> is, when you're dealing with a campaign with two Republican or two Democrats who are different shades of blue, are you going and, and making the case for the more moderate one, the one who isn't the crazy? Because the crazies on the radical left, they use certain kinds of language that make it sound like what they're doing is compassionate. And I'll give you an example. I think we have a crime crisis because of something called restorative justice. But if I were to ask someone just at random to define restorative justice, even in woke Seattle, I don't think they would be able to do that. Hmm. So that's the strategy that is in place that's keeping criminals out of jail only for them to re 
commit a crime. If we don't know that, how can we argue on our side? How can we argue with folks that the position that they're taking is going to hurt them? How do we convince our friends and neighbors and, you know, coworkers who won't report you to HR for talking politics? How do we get them to understand what's going on if we truly don't even understand what's going on? We know something is wrong, but ultimately a lot of people struggle to find out the why and struggle to explain why. They just know the what. And so if we give ourselves the tools to go ahead and explain the why, we're going to find ourselves in a much better position to call this stuff out. You're going to have to do some work, right? You're going to have to talk to people. You're going to have to get a little bit active. But why are we allowing the radicals to show up to meetings for city council or for school board meetings? Look at what happened just in education, because I have a chapter on that as well. When parents stepped up and they got organized, they started to win. It wasn't always easy and they didn't win every single battle, but they started to see some significant wins. Even in San Francisco, those are progressives who said the school board went too far and they ended up recalling three of the school board members. Right. I know folks there wanted to pretend it was like some conservative cabal that was behind (laughs) it. I I assure you it was not. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Jason Rance, you know, that is one of the things about that. I I have two minds and I'm out of time, but at two minds, what's killing America is this book, Jason Rance. It's very good. And inside the book, there are a lot more, it's a lot more, uh, meat. He, he's come at this like saying, hey, let me explain to you why, why, as he says, inside the radical left's tragic destruction, how they did it. You know, there's data and all. The problem is too many people vote and, and act based on um, uh, emotion and the emotion gets whipsawed by uh, horrendous media. And so it, it's sort of, you know, your show, my show, hopefully we're more and more uh, getting this in. Jason, I got to run. I'm up against a break. I'm sorry. You know the drill. You're a radio host yourself. Jason Rance, everybody. Thanks for the time, Jason. Good luck with the book. Thank we'll talk so again. Much. All right. Appreciate Jason, it. Jason Rance. Uh, very good. And obviously you can tell he's a heck of a successful radio guy. You can, he, he gets a lot in, in uh, his answers. We will take a break and be right back. Ed Martin on the pro America report back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I have been looking forward to this conversation with our next guest in part because we were scheduled and, and we did not uh, <laughs> make it connect. Uh, Nan Sue is a senior ex- investigative reporter over at the Epic Times, a, a great, great uh, news source. He specializes in all, everything around China. And so uh, welcome to the program, sir. How are you? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, the, the epictimes.com is the website, the epictimes.com. Um, I want to mention first the documentary that the Epic Times has produced called The Final War. You contributed to that. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, uh, that documentary, why it's so important. Uh, it's, uh, it's really very good. I've watched about half of it so far. Um, so, but tell us your thoughts. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, the, I call your uh, wrong name, Ed, are you Ed or your name? I am. Yep. Ed, no, Ed, that's me. It's fine. No problem. Ed. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, the Epoch Times just started, uh, back into a one, uh, by a bunch of, uh, Chinese students and scholars who came out of China, came to United States, uh, 
to they try to establish an independent channel to have information in and out of China without government censorship. Right. That's how we started uh, back in 2001. Now we are one of the 10 biggest newspapers and we publish in third. Uh, we are one of the 10 biggest newspapers in the United States and we publish in 36 countries and 21 languages. Wow. Um, and we uh, were talking with Nan Su. I knew it had grown. It certainly had a lot of attention in America. Uh, how about this um, this documentary? Um, you, your specialty is China and particularly the economy in China and, and uh, business issues. The title, though, it, for Americans, is called The Final War, The 100 Year Plot to Defeat America. I mean, that's right in you know your face, the title. Um, how do you see it? Tell us about the documentary, please. Oh, that documentary uh, actually uh, released a lot of uh, detailed inv- information that, that, that what we found out de- during our investigation. Uh, for example, uh, in the late 90s, Chinese uh, military strategists uh, uh, design a specific war against the United States. It's called unrestricted and unconventional warfare. Hmm. It's a war. It's a basically it's a total war. It's a war, um, uh, without, uh, any lines drawn between war, uh, and peace, uh, uh, without any lines drawn between, uh, military and civilian. Uh, you, you could take any forms. There's no more moral bottom line. It could be, um, economic warfare, financial warfare. Uh, it take any forms, uh, educational warfare, technology warfare, uh, educational warfare. Uh, as you know, they started uh, against the United States in the late nineties. And so far, the only uh, warfare that has not taken place is the military warfare. So, uh, we Americans, we are so naive. We, we have not realized that the Chinese military has been in war against us, uh, for the, or for almost 30 years. Uh, again, the, the uh, final, uh, the epictimes.com is the website. That's uh, T-H-E and then E-P-O-C-H times.com. And you can see the final war there, this uh, documentary. It's really well done. All right. And we're talking with Nan Su, who's a investigative reporter with the, the Epoch Times. Um, China and, and their economy. There has been coverage recently of the real estate uh, market there being so out of balance and so off. Um, and we don't Americans don't really get honest reporting out of China on what is happening. You know, they're not going to tell the truth about what's happening. What how do you see, Nan, and your analysis of what you see? How do you see the Chinese um, economy, especially the problem of the real estate, their real estate problem that's looming so large? Well, yeah, they are. Uh, they. A lot of people say China's uh, 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 real estate is already bottomed, uh, which I do not agree. I think uh, we have not seen bottom yet. Uh, it's probably going to uh, keep going down. Um, or at least it's going to stay there for a long, long, uh, very long time. Um, now, now, give you... Uh, one thing, uh, which you just tell you how bad the situation is over there. It was just a couple of weeks ago. The former, 
that's already retired. Uh, China's National uh, Audit Bureau、mm-hmm. uh, retired deputy、uh, director of that、uh, National Audit Bureau. He came out. He said、um, that's what what his comment is. China had enough. A housing units to house three billion people.、Hmm. Now China is like、uh, have over one billion population, less than one point four billion.、Uh, now India has a little bit over one point four billion. What he mean is, you know,、uh, if you 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 move entire Indian population to China, they still can have you fit in. And you know, there is no problem to provide <laughs> to provide、uh, housing units to、uh, the population from the、uh, the China and India, the 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 two nations that have the biggest population. Uh, we're talking with Anand Su, investigative reporter for the、uh, Epic Times.、Um, when when you see the extent of what、uh, the the problems are, and you're describing them.、Um, We watched when、uh, you know the the Chinese communist regime. They they、um, they you know locked down、uh, China fairly effectively. I guess you'd say they were able to do it. They sort of they have that kind of control. What happens if the real estate market really collapses? What happens if the economy really collapses? What's the how does how does the Chinese regime handle that? I mean they're they're not going to allow whole scale protests, right? So what happens? Well, we are actually living in the most dangerous time window in history. Uh, uh, you know,、uh, I often tell people、uh, you will not be able to find any other regime in the entire human history that posed more threat、hmm. than peace and humanity than the Chinese Communist regime today. And and or and also, I mean, if、uh, we keep our China policy in the right direction for another maybe twenty, thirty, forty years,、uh, China is China's economy、uh, keep going down. Then, we,、uh, you know, thirty, forty years later, it, you know, China may not as as a threat as the way it is to, today.、Mm-hmm. But however, China's economy is just off the peak. Uh, and on its way going down, and now it's the dan- most dangerous time because if the regime see、uh, its economy going down, there's no way to come back. And if they decide to do something now instead of later, they still have a lot of capacity. So,、uh, U.S. Air Force Mike Min-、uh, U.S. Air Force General Mike Minihan. Uh, basically, predict、uh, the earliest time to see direct military conflict between United States and China、uh, could be in 2025.、Mm-hmm. Uh, there were several other U.S. military generals predict 2027、uh, because China's Chairman Xi actually made order to Chinese military to be fully ready by the year of 2027 to annex Taiwan.、Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a, uh, some uh, Washington politicians say that well. Well, probably not going to happen prior to 2030. Now, keep in mind, none of them talking about if, all of them just talking about when.、Hmm.
Yeah, it is um, extraordinary to think about, sobering to think about. Uh, well, um, thank you uh, for coming on, Nansu, who, again, ex- investigative reporter over at the uh, Epoch Times, uh, the epochtimes.com. I'll put up on social media there and also a link to the Final War documentary. Um, very, uh, very worthwhile to read and follow uh, what's happening there on, on the communist regime and what they do. The best, it's really the best. The Epoch Times, as he mentioned, came out of uh, these dissidents who were trying to get the truth out of China, communist China. China and and also in and and they've just created this incredible um uh a news entity that is just straight up honest and uh and is really uh gives a great uh shines a great light on what's happening in the in China. So we have to take a break though. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Uh right back. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a constitutional attorney champion of grassroots conservatism and author of 27 books, including The Flip Side of Feminism, A Choice, Not an Echo, Who Killed the American Family, and How the Republican Party Became Pro-Life. Upholding the legacy of Mrs. Schlafly and himself an author, national speaker, and attorney, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Joe Biden's Justice Department filed a lawsuit to force Texas Governor Greg Abbott to remove bright orange buoys strung down a stretch of the Rio Grande as a barrier to illegal migrant crossings. Biden's overly aggressive lawsuit against our second largest state puts our entire union at risk. This case is destined for the U.S. Supreme Court, none of whose justices is from Texas or any other border state. Seven out of our nine Supreme Court justices have previously worked for the federal government in D.C., including four whose prior job was on the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. This isn't exactly a confidence booster when it comes to discerning how a judge might rule on the invasion that's taking place on our southern border. However, there are other reasons to lack confidence in the U.S. Supreme Court on this matter. Biden expects to win on the immigration issue in the Supreme Court, which ruled in his favor in a separate case in which Texas and Louisiana sought to compel Biden to enforce our immigration laws. Eight of the nine justices ruled in favor of Biden on the technicality of legal standing. As Joe Biden continues to overplay his hand by allowing millions of illegal aliens to flood our country, his latest lawsuit may be the straw that breaks the camel's back. Placing harmless buoys in the river that divides Texas from Mexico is protective of our country and harms no one. If anything, these buoys actually help by dissuading illegals from attempting to cross the mighty Rio Grande, which has proven to be the death of many other migrants who underestimate the river's power. Yet the Biden administration is far more concerned with stopping Texas from securing our border than anything else, it seems. Texans were raised with the fabled motto, don't mess with Texas. Biden can poke them in the eye only so many times before a movement grows larger in Texas to assert itself against Washington, D.C. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, winding things down, let me say it's time to start celebrating the sesquicentennial of America. That's the 250th anniversary of America. And you say to yourself, wait a second, Ed. 
1776 is not 250 years ago. No, that's right. 1773 is, though. And December 16th of 1773, so that's 250 years ago in a few months, Boston Tea Party. Boston Tea Party. That is the beginning, and it should be the beginning, of the, the celebrations that will run all the way through 1776 into 1777, depending on what date you want to celebrate. But there's lots to go. But the starting point should be the Boston Tea Party. So my challenge to you all is to get ready to start the sesquicentennial celebration, 250th anniversary of America's success in choosing liberty over tyranny, in choosing freedom over control from a far off country, from a far off government, choosing we the people over a monarchy. Lots of things and lots of things you can celebrate. I'm, I'm a big Sam Adams guy. I'm a big fan of Sam Adams and his uh, incredible life. And, and uh, I've admired how he did a lot of things. And so, you know, if you're if you're a Sam Adams guy, you, you're very interested in how uh, the the um, marking, uh, the, the development of uh, of language of the of the Minutemen, of the use of the terms around liberty and the Liberty Tree and all these kinds of things that happen in our founding era. There's a lot to celebrate, a lot of extraordinary people, a lot of extraordinary events. But I would argue the Boston Tea Party, December 16th, 1773, that should be our starting point. And we can go 250 years back, celebrate that date, and then go forward. And there's plenty of incredible, memorable, serious uh, ways we can mark 250 years and celebrate and celebrate all the good stuff, all the things that were happening, all the ways that people came together. There were religious differences. There was cultural differences. There was lots of things. And they came together and they had a vision for living and being and working. And, you know, at the heart of the whole thing, very early on, were things like property rights that became the central part of uh, of the of that sort of um, American uh Ethos. You hear me talk about it a lot. In the next couple of weeks, there's a a big um, a big uh, conference up in uh, Virginia, I think it is, uh, of people focused on the patent system, protecting the patent system, because the patent system says if you build it, if you invent it, if you come up with it, you should benefit. You shouldn't have to ask the king, or you shouldn't have to ask the the, the Führer. You shouldn't have to ask the Parliament. You shouldn't have to ask anybody. If you make it, if you invent it, you should have the ability to use it and profit from it in an American system for a while, not forever. At a certain point, the, the technology needs to be loosed in and, and freed up so other people can use it, but you should be able to benefit from it. That has been a single uh, focus of the American dream, the American experience, the American experiment since the earliest days. Sam Adams and the guys were talking about property rights. They were talking about the Tax Act because of what it was doing very early on. And so I'm, I'm, my, my argument, we can make a list. I was having this... Uh, a debate with a friend of mine who uh, is uh, working on a book and he's, the book is going to mark the sesquicentennial with lots of uh, specific things over the last 250 years that have happened almost like a, uh, a, um, an, a, um, an event or a, a, an idea or a success in America for every day of the year. And he's working on that book. And so he's telling, I was saying, man, you, we could make a list. We got a lot of very, very cool, a lot of really interesting uh, things that we can celebrate. And Mark, when you talk about, sesquicentennial so that's my pitch 
1776 commission that Trump set up, they moved off um, the government pages because Joe Biden, of course, came in and, and immediately shut it down. But uh, Dr. Larry Arn, who is the head of Hillsdale College, he uh, took he was chair, I think, at the time he stayed chair. And that is now a nonprofit uh, private entity, a commission that's actually still working on these issues, still working on highlighting the history, still working on finding ways to celebrate. And my point is only that, you know, you can't really have a tea party in this era. I wouldn't counsel in America having a big tea party gathering. Just think that the the environment is a little different, you know, in terms of uh, large gatherings in the public right now. I don't know that you can trust the law enforcement or the Antifa or anybody. So I wouldn't do that. But what I would do is find ways to celebrate and mark that holiday and understand it. Holiday, that's the wrong word, but it, it, it mark that uh, commemoration, commemorate the day and the date um, that the tea, Boston Tea Party occurred and what happened. Who did it? How they did it? You know, th- at that time, there was, I, I believe it is proven that the, the people who dressed up as Indians, as Native Americans, went out onto the ships to dump the tea. And by the way, they dumped the tea. They didn't damage the ships. They didn't damage any other property. They just did it to the tea. But I think it's proven that they dressed uh, in their outfits, their 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 uh, uh, Indian garb. They did that in the uh, they changed in their clothes after a meeting uh, that had been called, and and they were in the the uh, ante room or whatever you call it, the front room of a publisher of one of the weekly or daily papers in Boston. I forget the, the name of the publisher, and even I forget the name of the paper. My point is that uh, that the the support for this uh, effort was uh, grassroots, but it had leaders of different types involved, including publishers. A publisher, of course, at that time in Boston, there would have been a dozen or two dozen papers, newspapers, and broadsheets, and things that people uh, produced that were uh, uh, that were passing the word. It's it's the roots uh, of the circular letter. Uh, the, the, the the committees of correspondence that um, Sam Adams set up where they were writing letters to each other and the letters were called a circular letter. The letter was sent from one to the other and onto the other and onto the other. It circulated. It was a circular letter, uh, which um, it was hugely popular and effective. A huge insight into uh, sort of um, uh, messaging. And, uh, you know, uh, back to my early segment on the show, talk about the power, power of the narrative machine. Uh, Sam Adams was setting the narrative. He was defining the issues. He, in fact, he did not participate in the Tea Party, in the actual Tea Party itself. And uh, the description in one of the biographies was that he was already thinking about how to capture the message around the issues and around what was taking place. So very cool. All right. That's all I've got for today. Thank you to Mason Mohan and Ryan Hype for producing the show. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. I'm Ed Martin. We'll be back tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.